If you have a Bible with you, please can I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 61. Today we begin a new sermon series that we'll be covering over the coming months, working through this very significant chapter in the Bible. Today we'll be looking at the first phrase that's used. We'll be reading several verses from Isaiah 61 before we then head into Luke. But over the coming months, we're going to be drawing out a number of the major themes highlighted in this chapter. This chapter that Jesus chose as his manifesto for his mission, for his ministry. Uh, And that's what we're going to be particularly looking at later on. But I think the major message today is that God the Father and the Son have a wonderful gift for you and I to have, which is God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit comes upon us that we might live lives empowered, lives to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus, to tell this world that is hurting and broken that Jesus Christ has come and has inaugurated a revolution that's changing the world, one person at a time. And that job's not yet finished. One day, when Jesus returns in glory, he will gather from every nation, tribe, and tongue people who have tasted of the kindness and mercy and the grace of God, people who have received this gift of the Holy Spirit, who know this love of God, And this love of God, which we've been enjoying, singing about, there is so much more for us to know and to enjoy. Do you believe that? I so believe that to be true. The inexhaustible riches of God are available to you and to me today. Inexhaustible riches. We're hearing about his riches. So let's read Isaiah 61. And the first three verses together before we jump over to Luke chapter 4. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom, to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees, planted by the Lord to glorify him. Let's turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue On the Sabbath day, and stood up to read. The scroll 
of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today as you listen to this scripture, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. He also said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day. When the sky was shut up for three years and six months, well, a great famine came over all the land, yet... Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of God to us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that we here today get to spend this time, like those in the synagogue did, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have been poured out upon God's people, that we might also have our eyes fixed upon Jesus and that we might glorify him together. And so, Lord, we pray as your people, fill us with your spirit anew today, that our lives would glorify Jesus, that this church might glorify Jesus that in this land that is filled with blindness and darkness, broken-heartedness, captivity, a land full of those enslaved to the powers of evil and sin, Lord God, would you set people free and would you shine brightly? For Lord, we recognize it's only gonna be by a move of your spirit that we will see the kind of revival we know this land so desperately needs that this land so desperately is thirsting for. And so, Lord, we pray, please pour out your Holy Spirit again on us. We thank you. There's no reluctance in heaven to pour out the Holy Spirit today. There's no reluctance. So, Lord, whatever might be holding us back, whatever fears and anxieties, whatever 
cynicisms and doubts, whatever unbelief there might be, would you smash down every wall and every barrier that our hearts would be filled with your spirit today? We ask this for your glory, Jesus, and in your holy name. Amen. Jesus selected Isaiah 61. As he's in the synagogue, I want you to picture the scene. It shouldn't be too difficult to picture it. It looks a little bit like this. Lots of people gathered to worship God. And as was the tradition, a rabbi would be given the opportunity to read the scripture and then to give a sermon. Jesus at this stage has come from Capernaum. He's already begun to do miracles and he's already got a reputation. He's come to his hometown. He's known by people. He's known by his recent exploits. He's known as the kid who grew up in Joseph's house, Joseph the carpenter. And there are all these rumors going around about this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth. He's returned. He's returned to his hometown. He's got disciples. He's a rabbi now. What's he going to do and what's he going to say? And uh, he's handed the scroll, which he rolls out, and he finds this place in the scroll. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And this section of scripture, he stops at to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then there's a day of vengeance which comes in the prophecy which isn't mentioned here. This is the day of the Lord's favor. Which harks back to Leviticus 25, which describes the jubilee that after 50 years in Israel, those who have debt will have their debt cleared. Those who are slaves will be set free. Those who have had land taken from them will have the land restored to them. The year of Jubilee is a year of celebration, a year of favor, a year of breakthrough, a year of emancipation for slaves. This is a wonderful moment, the Jubilee year, and Jesus is declaring before this crowd, this is the day of the Lord's favor. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Something remarkable is happening now. He reads the scripture, and as is the tradition, he sat down. So then what happens is the sermon comes. What's this sermon going to be like? Imagine Jesus bodily here today giving the sermon, the anticipation, the expectation. What's he going to say? This should be good. And this is the sermon that he gives. He says to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. That was the sermon. Best sermon ever, one line. I need a lot more words than that. Jesus needed a one sentence. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. And look at the reaction from the crowd. They, they were amazed. They were speaking well of him. His gracious words. His eloquence. 
They were amazed by him. So their initial response was, wow. It's very positive initially, very positive towards him. And then there are these murmurings. Isn't that, isn't that Joseph's son? We know who he is. And so they begin to kind of doubt or question or wonder about him. And Jesus anticipating this says his famous words, a prophet is worthy of honor except in his hometown. And what he then proceeds to do is he, before this Jewish community, explains how in the Old Testament there was blessing that went to the Gentiles. He spoke about a miracle performed by Elijah and then a miracle performed by Elisha. And he was saying, oh, there was great need among the Jews, and yet Elijah went to a Gentile. And there was much leprosy in, among the Jews, and yet Elisha went to a Gentile. And at this, the crowd are furious. They are livid. They drag him. Imagine it. They drag him out of the synagogue. This crowd takes him to the edge of the hill, and they are going to throw him off. They want to kill him, outraged. What was the shocking thing that he said? Jesus made clear that this year of the favor of the Lord is for all nations, is for all peoples. And if the Jews should reject him, there are many, many more who will receive his blessing And I would suggest that the majority of us in this room are included in what Jesus was speaking about here. Not many of us are probably Jewish. And this gospel is going to the ends of the earth, even now. Hallelujah. But they were enraged by him. And I love how Luke just says, but he just passed right through them. Isn't that incredible? This huge crowd, this crowd of furious, angry zealots wanting to kill him, and yet miraculously, straight through. His hour's not come yet. Now, what I want us to focus on is this phrase, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because Jesus' whole ministry was empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to do a little bit of theology. Don't be scared. In Philippians 2, famous passage of Scripture, we're told this. Have the same attitudes as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on human likeness. Now this hymn that the early church sung is speaking about the incarnation, that God the Son, who has eternally existed, came into the world as a baby, took on human flesh, and lived a human life. He lived a perfect human life. He never sinned. To which someone might say, yeah, but he was God, easy. No, 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 no. The scripture doesn't tell us that, that it was an easy exercise. Fully God, fully man, But Jesus embraced our life, embraced our flesh. 
this humility of Jesus to walk this earth like us, to be tempted in every way as we are tempted and yet never to sin. He emptied himself. He never ceased to be God. God the Son eternally. But he took on flesh. Think of it like this. Nothing was taken from him, but he added to himself humility. He added to himself flesh. He added to himself humanity. And he came to live the life that you and I have failed to live. But it's a life which we're called to imitate and we're called to follow in the example of. So he empties himself of all of the privileges and doesn't grasp at his authority, doesn't grasp at his divinity is what's being said here. He emptied himself, but then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. So that everything that Jesus did was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Everything he did was empowered by the Holy Spirit. As an example to us of the kind of life which we can live. I want that just to stir up in you. I can live a life like Jesus? Absolutely. You're not going to do it as well as he did. You're going to make mistakes. But the same Holy Spirit poured out upon Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that God the Father and God the Son has poured out upon all of his people. The privilege of this, what we call the new covenant age, the new promise that has come through Jesus. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, old and young, indiscriminate, on the basis of, are you my child? Have you received the gift of salvation? The Holy Spirit poured out upon us. And it is this Holy Spirit who launches Jesus into his ministry, and it's the same Holy Spirit who is launching us into the ministry that God has called us to. You have a mission. Do you know that? You have a mission. We have a mission, but God has uniquely given you influence, people, privilege, place to have influence to be on mission, to bring glory to God. And you, let me tell you this right now, it's impossible for you to do it without the help of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it without the Holy Spirit empowering you. Jesus didn't attempt his ministry without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And everything that the Holy Spirit has come to do is to bring glory, is to glorify Jesus. I want you to see this. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to do a quick survey of some of the key texts leading up to this point in Luke 4, which make reference to the Holy Spirit. Because with the coming of Jesus, we find the Holy Spirit is spoken of all over the place. And the Holy Spirit has come with a very clear mission in mind. Before we read the text, I want to quote you from Jim Packer, who says this. The Spirit's message to us is never, look at me. Come to me, get to know me, but always look at him and see his glory. Listen to him and hear his word. Go to him 
and have life. Get to know him and taste the gift of joy and peace. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to draw your eyes to Jesus. If you think of a floodlit stadium, you're aware of its presence by what it illuminates. And so the Holy Spirit shines lights, if you like, onto the person of Jesus Christ. And so the evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life and in the life of this church is that Jesus is being glorified, that Jesus is preached, that the gospel is preached, that all eyes are on Jesus. And we, when we stop hearing Jesus being spoken about, and this, the implication is clear, if we're only talking about the Holy Spirit, then we're missing what the Holy Spirit's mission is, which is to glorify Jesus. I think it's important that you hear this, because I, but we often, because we often get this wrong. We, we are called to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Jesus said in, in John 16, he will glorify me. And so this is what we see happening in these texts. So in Luke 1, this is the, the Advent texts which are coming through. And this is initially concerning John the Baptist coming. He will be great, this is verse 15 of chapter 1. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. Verse 35, this is Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The miraculous conception in Mary, of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is drawing attention to Jesus, is pointing to Jesus. And then Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, comes to see her. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, inside the womb of Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a challenge. Can the Holy Spirit fill children? Can the Holy Spirit fill babies in the womb? You bet. Does that make every baby in the womb precious? You bet. Made in the image of God. Capable of knowing God. You think, well, it doesn't have capacity yet to rationalize what capacity does John the Baptist have in the womb here? And yet leaping for joy by the Holy Spirit. Miraculous. Never judge a person's worth based on their capabilities and their capacity. Never form the conclusion, because someone can't articulate a theology of Christianity, that they might not have very real relationship with Jesus Christ. You know what? This was brought home to me when I was young. I went to a, an assembly at my brother's school and I was staring at this one poor person who was in a vegetative state, not moving, dribbling. And I prayed. I was like, Lord, how do we, how do we reach this person? How do they understand the good news of the gospel? And it was a problem for me 
And in my spirit, I felt the Lord speak to me clearly to say, how do you know they don't know me wonderfully? How do you know that they're not enjoying intimacy with me? How do you know that they're not alive in the spirit? The Holy Spirit leapt. The the baby in her womb leapt with the Holy Spirit. And then Zechariah, in verse 67, then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. This is at the birth of John the Baptist. And then we flick over. And Simeon, we are told here, Simeon, uh, this man was a righteous and devout man, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the Lord. Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God. This baby is the Messiah. Simeon, long anticipating this moment, the Lord said, you will see the Messiah. And he looks at this baby and he says, the Savior of the world. The Holy Spirit pointing to Jesus the whole time. Pointing to Jesus. Anticipating his coming. Anticipating his mission. Anticipating his work. And then we have the baptism of Jesus in Luke 3. But before that, John the Baptist says in verse 16 of Luke 3, I will baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Wow! Someone's coming who who won't just baptize you into water as I am, but there's going to be like a baptism but into the Spirit. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the crowd are like, what? And then Jesus steps forward. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And he was praying. As he was praying, heaven opened. Picture it. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Picture the dove coming from heaven. And we're reminded of Noah in the ark. After floods and devastation and death, then we're reminded of the dove that comes with the olive leaf and the dove coming and communicating life. Life is coming. Noah knew the flood, the judgment has come to an end. Life is coming. And the Spirit comes upon Jesus, this pure picture of a dove from heaven, the Holy Spirit taking the form of a dove, this pure, innocent, holy picture, this life is coming to the world. And then the voice from heaven declares over Jesus, my beloved son. 
it's amazing how often we can feel very anxious, even fearful, when talking about the Holy Spirit. When someone gets up and says, right, we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit now, I guarantee you in this room, a number of you at that point will be going, oh, what's going to happen now? Is it going to get weird? Am I going to have to do something odd? And often when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the problem, the problem we often have is we only speak subjectively of our experience. And when you hear someone speaking subjectively of their experience and it doesn't match up with yours, you can feel like somehow you're missing out. That they've got more than you have. Or their experience is better than yours. Which is why we must always go to the word of God to understand our gospel, and to especially understand who God is. So we go to the scriptures, and what are the scriptures teaching about the Holy Spirit? Where in the Bible does it say, and then the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you're going to get so anxious and so nervous and so fearful and so fretful? In fact, the opposite is said. Don't be afraid. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so does your heavenly Father Delight to give you the Holy Spirit. And it is not insignificant that the overwhelming emotion, if you like, or that the experience, if you like, at this moment of Jesus' baptism, just as his ministry is being propelled, is the love of God. And it's consistent for all of us. So that in Romans 5, verse 5, We read this. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. The Holy Spirit coming, one of the, the earliest indications and signs that you've received the Holy Spirit is not speaking in tongues necessarily or prophesying necessarily, though that happens for many and I hope it happens for you but is an overwhelming sense of the love of God, of the peace of God, of the joy of God. And Paul in Romans 8 makes it very clear. If you do not have the spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. In other words, it's impossible to be a Christian without having received the spirit of Christ, without having received the Holy Spirit. Impossible. You can't. So the Bible teaches very clearly, I am dead in my sins until I'm made alive by the Spirit of God. I'm born again, is the language that Jesus uses. The Spirit comes and moves and finds us in our helpless state. There are not degrees of deadness. You are dead until you are made alive, until breath comes, like the valley of dry bones. The breath came, and the flesh came, and an army rose up. And so the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I do believe that we can experience degrees or measures of the Holy Spirit's power among us. And I do believe our experience of the Holy Spirit is important. I do not believe that the Bible teaches we're only to have a theological, academic conviction of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, but that we are to have a felt, real, lived, empowered experience. So that when Jesus is in the waters and the Spirit of God comes upon him, I don't think Jesus is going, well, that feels average. 
It's a moment where he goes, to know the love of my father. One of my favorite ways of illustrating this is nicked from a guy called Charles Spurgeon, who was a wonderful preacher in the 19th century. And he said to him, a woman, and I've used this here before, so bear with me if you've heard it, but I just find it so, so helpful. He says, I once knew a dear woman in my congregation who was the subject of many, many doubts. And she came to me, and I asked her questions, and he said, we got to the bottom of the issue. She said her problem was this. Though she loved God, she doubted whether God loved her. Though she knew she was loved by him, though she knew she loved him, she doubted whether he loved her. Spurgeon said to this woman, do you know what, that's a doubt that will never, ever affect me. And Spurgeon had a lot of challenges of faith. He says, this is a doubt which won't affect me, and I'll tell you you why. He said, I know that the heart is so naturally opposed to God, against God, that the human condition is so affected by anger and hatred towards God, that love for God never got there without God putting it there. He says that love for God is a fruit and not a root of your salvation. And he said to her, you can rest quite assured that if you love God, that God loves you. Because we love because he first loved us. The love of God is this evidence and sign in us, my love towards Christ, my love towards God. If I'm looking only at the evidence of my performance, it's a depressing place to go. But if I'm looking to Christ and I'm looking to the cross and I'm looking to the manifest ways in which God's love has been poured out, which is where the Holy Spirit takes us, then I go, I am loved by God beyond my ability to comprehend. I just long to know more of it. This inexhaustible love of God. This power, this spirit that has brought adoption to us. Hallelujah. And so after the baptism, the Holy Spirit drives Jesus where? Into the wilderness. In chapter 4, Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil For 40 days. And the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Then in verse 9, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. What is the devil tempting Jesus to doubt? But his very identity as a son of God. Now let me ask you this question. What is the wilderness place that the Holy Spirit is driving you to? What is the wilderness? Where's the spiritual dead place that you find the Holy Spirit takes you? Where is the environment where you find greatest temptations to sin or the greatest temptations to doubt? Or where is the environment where you find the greatest opportunity to resist the devil and to make a stand for Christ? What's that environment? What's that place? Where's that wilderness? Because it's easy, in a sense, to be a Christian in this room today, isn't it? 
wonderful band leading us, songs declaring how great God is, arms aloft. And then the Spirit of God takes me into the wilderness, into a place of spiritual deadness, into a place where Jesus says, I'm coming to bind up broken hearts. I'm coming to give sight to the blind. I'm coming to set captives free. I'm coming to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And as the Spirit of the Lord anointed Jesus to bring that message, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed you and is empowering you to resist the temptations of the evil one, to overcome them by the grace of Jesus Christ and to declare his goodness to this world and to usher in the year of the Lord's favor, a year of jubilee. Good news for the poor. And we're going to be next week hearing from Angela as we look particularly at why this is good news for the poor. And it is. And it motivates and stirs us as God's people. But let me just say, if you find yourself doubting or questioning, am I a son? Am I a daughter of God? With Jesus, you're in good company because he was doubted. He was, he was tempted to doubt, but he overcame. How? It is written. <laughs> it uses the word of God. You're able to respond in just the same way as Jesus did. This is a sword. Do you know that? The sword. This is a weapon. This is a weapon for us. God's word is a sword in our hands. May we use it. May you use it to fight well. Because our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And the devil will flee when in the name of Jesus you declare the truth of his word. The devil left him. And you, with the same empowerment of the Holy Spirit, are able to wield the sword, God's word, and to fight. Everything that Jesus did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. The miracles he performed, his teaching. His ability to walk through the crowd. Even, we read in Hebrews, as he was being crucified, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Even in his suffering and in his agony, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the helper, the paraclete, the helper. Where do you need help? Where are you, where are you struggling? Where, where are you being sent to bring influence and change? You can't do it in your own strength. Many of you have found God's put you in places of great influence. Not just so that you can line your pockets, but that so that you, like Jesus, might proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This week, I've just been blown away at meeting and having time with a number of people who are living this out, influencing, bringing gospel hope, caring for the poor, binding up broken hearts at personal cost and sacrifice. Many of you have given money. Why would you do that? 
unless you believe there was a mission that God had sent you on to be a part of that was worth it. Now I want to finish by going to those verses that I referenced in Luke 11 because you might be sat here thinking this is all well and good. I'm not sure I know the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I maybe have known something at some point. Okay, Tim, so how do, how do, I, how do I get hold of this? If this is a gift that God wants me to have, uh, how do I get it? It's a really good question. Jesus says this in Luke 11, verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened what father among you if his son asks for a fish will give him a snake instead of a fish or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him. So my question to you is, do you really desire and long for this gift that the Father longs to give you? You might be thinking, I really need to know the love of God. Ask. You might be thinking, I really want to step out in boldness and share my faith. Ask. It might be that you want to see a miraculous breakthrough. Ask. It might be that you want to see a child come to know Jesus. Ask. What is the power that you are desiring and longing for? What is the breakthrough that you are longing for? The word of God says, and it's impossible for God to lie, you will find if you seek. The door will be open to you if you knock. You will receive if you ask. And Jesus was so confident because he knew the one gift the Father loves to give us is his Holy Spirit. I feel excited to ask for myself. And I feel in faith for you to ask as well. Why don't we stand? And I'm going to invite the band to lead us. And I want us to, to be, as God's children, eagerly, expectant to receive again the gift of the Holy Spirit from him. He's a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. Father in heaven, we thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ lived his life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us today to help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to glorify him. Lord, our desire for more of your power in our lives is that you might use us to glorify Jesus more. Lord, I long for more of the Holy Spirit's power that I might bear witness to you better. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come upon us as a fire purifying, consuming, And I ask, in line with what you've told us we can have, 
may we receive again your power into our lives. May we have what you said is ours. I thank you, Lord, that these are no longer the days of waiting for your spirit has been poured out. These are the days for receiving. Yeah, receiving, not waiting now. Receiving. So, Father, help us to receive this gift. In Jesus' name. So as the band leads us, I'm just gonna, I just encourage you, put your arms out. Be ready to receive. Ask deeply of God. I want to receive, Lord, this gift you said is mine. I want to know your power in my heart. The specifics that you want to bring before God. Just invite the Holy Spirit. He's with us now. Father, pour your spirit upon us. I thank you that you see every person here. Every longing of every heart. We long for our heart's desires to be satisfied by delighting in you. And from your heavenly storehouses, let us receive the riches of your Holy Spirit into our hearts. Let's just worship and enjoy his presence. Let's sing a song. Let's enjoy him together.